Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday may 11th 2012 this week episode 247 comes to you from studio c in beautiful mckees rocks pennsylvania back in the studio is the z-man cliff zlotnick joe special thanks to you and val for filling in for me for two weeks and uh good uh you know, good to I have you back. It. Yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. to be back. Right. It's good to be back. Now, of course, at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V, Val Bender. Hello, everyone. Hello. We think our technical director is going to join us today from, oh, yeah, he is up on there, guest three. That should be Dieter. So we'll, we'll bring Dieter in from Mexico later in the program here. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio Trivia Question and interview with Mickey Lee. We're going to talk a little bit about the science of drying today. We'll have our halftime, thank our sponsors, and, of course, at the end of the show, we'll have the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To listen live, go to the iaqradio.com website and hit the Go To Show button at the top of the page, and then you can listen through the TalkShoe program. You can also stream past shows directly from our website and download shows by, again, going to the Go To Show link and right-click on the download button, save it to your favorite MP3 or MP3 player. And, of course, you can get the show from iTunes. Don't forget we also have continuing education credits for IICRC and ACAC. You can also get ABIH credits, but you can self-certify on those. Now, last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Tongue's tied today. Cliff. There you go. That's why I, I understand it happens. <laughs> okay. 
Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer via your computer. Congratulations. Two, John Lapotere, MicroShield Environmental Services in Winter Springs, Florida, who identified zinc as the material used in the galvanizing process to protect sheet steel from rusting. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, May 11th, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the French scientist who in 1824 is, was credited with the first formula for the second law of thermodynamics. Back to you, Joe. Okay, Mickey Lee is today's guest. He is currently a private consultant providing consulting, training, research, and writing services in the fields of property damage restoration, psychrometrics, drying science, mold remediation, and structural drying after water intrusions. He retired from Munters Corporation in 2011 after serving in various roles there for over 20 years. He was the Vice President of Global Technology and Sustainability Sustainability for Munters AB and the Global and National Technical and Training Manager for the Munters Corp. He was responsible for training program development, curriculum writing, course facilitation, in addition to managing projects for structural drying and restoration of commercial buildings of every type. He has also had extensive experience in the application of air treatment technology in restorative drying projects, corrosion control methods, mold mitigation, and humidity control in both commercial and industrial facilities while working with Munters Corporation's Moisture Control Services Division. He has recently been uh, using his vast experience in the water damage business. IICRC asked him to lead the development of their commercial drying specialist certification. I got a chance to read one of the chapters in that book. It's excellent. This program uh, completed its full rollout in 2009. He continues to serve as a committee chair for the commercial drying specialist certification program and also serves on the IICRC S500 standard. Uh, let's get uh, some intro music for Mickey. I was shredding like a mule. I was frying like a blitz. I was swimming in my shorts. If you get the hint. <laughs> Like a sauna in here. All right, we have Mickey on the line. Oh, there we go. Hello, Mickey. 
We got oh, you. Oh, my, my. It's amazing that you didn't uh, play uh, Mickey, Mickey, You're So Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Cliff, if he would have thought about it, I'm sure he would have. Uh, I don't know. I was thinking M-I-C-K-E-Y. Uh, well, we find uh, Cliff comes up with some interesting clips, I have to say. All right, Mickey, how, how did you get started in the disaster restoration business? We're looking at, what, 25-plus years? Well, I was uh, with Munters uh, going on 21 years. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, back in the 80s, I was a general contractor, uh, did uh, commercial uh, tenant finish out, uh, uh, high-end remodels, things of that nature. Uh, then late in the 80s, uh, my partner and I shut down the, the business, uh, he wanted to stay small, and I thought, well, if we're going to stay small, I'm not sure that I'm going to get to where I'd like to be. So basically, we uh, went our separate ways, and uh, I uh, answered a an ad in the newspaper uh, by uh, Munters back in uh, 1990. Uh, they were looking for a project manager in Dallas, uh, and I grew up in Texas, of course, and uh, so I answered an ad, and I uh, went to work for them as a project manager. Uh, it was a great learning experience, and then I just uh, kind of worked my way up through uh, various levels, so finally winding up here in the Atlanta area where I live now and have for the past 18 or 19 years. And, uh, love it here. And then, uh, uh, so that's basically how I, I got my start in the disaster restoration. So I've been around commercial uh uh, construction for the past uh, 30 plus years and uh, drying and uh, that type thing over the past 20 plus. I, I think I noticed you had a, a maybe a bachelor's degree in was it business or something like that prior to starting in uh, the. <laughs> uh, yes, I started out in engineering uh, until calculus ate my lunch and then I felt led to go into business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, Cliff? So actually, it was a combination of my lack of motivation and uh, uh, stick to itiveness back in the uh, back in the late '60s and uh, a bad calculus professor. So well, you know, you I'm not sure which one I'm I blame more. You essentially ended up in an engineering type profession. I mean, you 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 approach this at least uh, from what I've read as a as an engineer would. Yeah, that that would be correct. I've, I've always had a very technical and a practical bent and everything I've, I've done has uh, I've always wanted to find out why does it work and how does it work how can we make it work better and so I've uh, approached things a lot from an engineering mindset yes well when you're at Munters could you either give us uh, tell, tell the listeners about one of your most memorable projects or your most technically challenging projects you know your choice one or the other uh Okay, the uh, you know there's there were so many of them. I uh, I would say that uh, uh, one that sticks with me, uh, and in uh, every training class that I do now, I uh, oftentimes refer back to this. The the, the most memorable one probably uh, would be the uh, uh, R.M. Clayton sewage treatment plant. Uh, here in uh, the Atlanta area back in 2009. Uh, the smell is uh, with me yet. <laughs> uh, heavy rains in uh, in Atlanta 
caused a lot of flooding in uh, northwest Atlanta. Uh, millions of gallons of raw sewage was uh, being dumped into the Chattahoochee River uh, every day. And, of course, this being the home of CNN, everything that happens in Atlanta is going to hit the national and international news. So it was a, a very high-profile job, helicopters every day, and a uh, huge, huge uh, job. We were doing cleaning and drying. Uh, it was tough on uh, a, a, a lot of levels, hazards, uh, potential hazards, the logistics of the of the job, the uh, documentation needed, the uh, customer communication. We had morning-afternoon meetings, and there was about 40 to 45 uh, materially interested parties who were involved in that uh, uh, regularly, and uh, so... Uh, that is definitely uh, high on my list of uh, jobs I will never forget. I'm trying to picture what what were you cleaning up? Was was it a? I mean, I'm thinking of sewage treatment plant. Typically, the ones I've seen aren't a real big building, but uh, were you cleaning up the grounds and the plant itself? N- not the grounds, but uh, there's there were 30 buildings. This is the largest oh, sewage treatment plant okay. in the southeast. So, I got you. So there's okay. 30 buildings from admin buildings to warehouses to uh, pro- lots of uh, process control uh, buildings, uh, lots of electrical, uh, everything. And so, a lot of raw sewage, uh, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And this thing went three floors down, below ground, so it was 40 feet. Uh, down, and oh. so all of that was completely uh, submerged under eight foot of uh, raw sewage. Ow. Okay, now I got it. All right, I understand better why that one was so memorable. All right. Well, listen, we... Um, I guess it's true, it flows downhill. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it does, and that was part of the problem because of the... I don't know whether anyone's heard of the water wars uh, here in the... Uh, between uh, Alabama, Florida, and uh, uh, and Georgia, so uh, we're fighting to keep our water, and they're fighting to get uh, water for downstream, and so we were sending them a lot of stuff downstream that I'm sure they didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen. I think that was a big. There was a big lawsuit as well on uh, just with the whole water treatment facilities in the Atlanta area. That um, weren't they under some kind of decree or something? I can't remember. Oh but, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. I, uh, that, that does sound like a challenge. Let's move on to, you had sent us two papers, okay? One was the compilation of moisture-related terminology, and uh, I think what I'd like to do is kind of start with, with that paper. This is a, a glossary, glossary of moisture-related terms. What caused you to develop this glossary of moisture-related terms? Uh, Cliff, this was... Uh I, I get maybe for the benefit of the, of the listeners, uh, maybe give them a little bit more of a background or a little bit more about what it is. It's a, it, it, I compiled a list of about two dozen uh, uh, terms, uh, including uh, humidity ratio, dew point, relative humidity, vapor pressure, enthalpy, et cetera, et cetera. And I pulled together a lot of uh, published works with actual definitions uh, on each one of those terms and, and, and numerous others. Uh, and these would be uh, these would be from uh, people like uh, Don Gatley, Lou Harriman, uh, 
Richard Shaughnessy, Heinz Trexel, a lot of different people like this with published works that I that I use, Joe Stebrick. Uh and I pulled definitions from their publications and put it into a single compilation of, of moisture related terms. So uh so so that it's fully referenced, fully footnoted. It is not my interpretation of what they were saying in terms of their definitions, it's their actual definitions. Uh, in there, so it's it's a couple of dozen pages. Uh, and by the way, I'll be glad to send that out to anyone who would request that of me. And I guess we can talk about that at the end of the end of the show. But that's what the uh, that's what the document is. Uh, what motivated me to do it? Well, as I've already said, I, I've always had a curious mind and and. Uh, uh, try to understand what things, uh, why things work, and everything. And so, uh, a few years after I started with uh, with Munters, 1990, uh, I was offered an opportunity in 1995 to attend uh, the advanced uh, course on moisture mechanics that was put on by Munters and uh, Lund University in Lund, Sweden, and they are a, a world-renowned. Uh, engineering, building science, research uh, uh, university. Uh, and so I was invited to participate in, in a six-day long intense course uh, during uh, which I learned a lot of, uh, of uh, very useful uh, stuff on uh, advanced psychrometrics, energy equations, uh, moisture mechanics and materials, uh, and I also learned a lot of useless stuff, like uh, how to calculate the uh, uh, the curvature of uh, of a meniscus on a capillary. So I <laughs> uh, never used that since then. But uh, <laughs> so so these things were uh, were uh, quite a shock to me in a lot of ways. And uh, it uh, some of the things that was very different that uh, I had trouble getting my head around for a while was. Uh, why, how, and why moisture behaves differently in the air as as it does in materials, and uh, so as you're probably well aware, when you raise the temperature in the air, the relative humidity actually goes down. If you raise the re- the temperature in materials, the relative humidity actually goes up, and so uh, that I had trouble getting my head around, and. Uh, a few years later, I got uh, I got to repeat that course again and uh, uh, went through another six days of it and learned even more. Uh, but after that, so so I, I started looking at definitions even back in the, the mid nineties, and then uh, after uh, moving into the uh, national uh, technical and training manager role. Uh, with Munters, I began developing some training programs, and, and part of those uh, programs was uh, uh, was a, a, the science behind what we did and everything. Uh, I put, began to put together the glossary and, uh, and that I developed from several resources, and then I basically just added to that over the years. Uh, the next kind of uh, evolution of this was uh, when I became involved with the S-500 uh, back in the oh, earlier, earlier 2000, 2003 or 4, uh, 5, I, uh, I got a lot of motivation because I felt that uh, in a lot of the definitions and uh, science uh, of drying that they had, 
uh, I, I, I saw some real deficiencies and felt like the, the, the definitions that were being used, some of them were, uh, oh, to be as kind as I can. There, there was some that was just needed wordsmithing, and some of them uh, needed drastic overhaul, and some of them were just absolutely bad, wrong. And so, made up stuff. Uh, <laughs> Mus. So, I, I got my as I got my hands on more and more resources and publications, and I kept developing that uh, glossary. And then in uh, 2009, I put put it together and uh, began to distribute it to people who who requested it. So that's kind of. I mean, reading through from. it, it's very, very complex scientific stuff that. I don't know, everyone I know except maybe Dieter would have trouble, <laughs> uh, you know, like, you know, un- understanding it. But, you know, you, you put it all together and it, it's valuable. How does someone who doesn't do well in calculus uh, understand that and put it to work? Uh, like I said, it was motivation back there that got me out of engineering, or lack of motivation, I should say. And this time, uh, just the opposite. I was motivated to understand it. And uh, so, you know, th- there is a, a lot in there, and, and it cuts across an, all types of disciplines. There's uh, references that I use out of building science, Joe Stebrick's uh, material, Heinz Trexel. There's physics. There's meteorology. Uh, the books that are brought in, microbiology, Richard Shaughnessy, of course, and, and people like this. So, so I, I use a little of everything, and so some of them, uh, some of uh, I should say, there's a lot of it that is way over my head. And uh, Don Gatley's material, you know, when he made a definition of something, his definition wasn't a sentence; it was a formula. <laughs> yeah. So when he defines relative humidity, you're not going to see a definition. When he defines vapor pressure, you're not going to see a definition. You're going to see a formula there. So uh, so some of that uh, can get very, very complicated. So is that useful for our people? Uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's beneficial to make sure that, that it's got a, a sound technical basis, but uh, not everything that you understand technically should you be spouting and giving out to you know, customers and to everyone else. Well, I think exactly what you said, things that you don't understand scientifically, uh, you shouldn't be sp- you know, spouting out, giving to clients, or should you be teaching to other people? And I think one of the challenges, you know, that I had in, in, in looking at these courses and teaching these courses is that some of this stuff was really, really technical. I really did not understand it well myself. And then you have this challenge of trying to teach it to people who may understand less of it than you do. And yeah. I mean, it's not an easy, you know, it's not an easy thing. So I think sometimes, you know, simplicity, uh, you know, is, is better. What about, do you use any examples? I mean, like we're, and I find when people can see it, you know, a lot of times they understand it better than they would, you know, seeing a formula written on a blackboard, you know, what are some of the techniques that you use in, yeah. Well, I, I use a lot of, uh, I'm a very visual person also, but when I study something, I, I get pictures of it, and, and, and when I try to convey and use pictures in my training uh, for people. Uh, literally, when I open up a, a session on psychometrics, uh, if you see my opening slide on psychometrics, it is a lot of bubbles. 
a lot of dots up there. Mm -hmm. And inside those bubbles there is a capital N and an O2. And uh, so it's gases. So I'm showing molecules. So I'm trying to visualize what is happening in the air. And uh, so, yes, I use a lot of visualizations, and I think uh, there are terms that people understand, and they say, okay, I can get my head around that. But then there's other terms that I could throw out that it's just not going to mean anything to anybody. Right. So to what benefit is that? Right. Well, and then I think that kind of takes us into the next document here, Mickey, and that was the one that you sent, and it's a, it's a chapter out of your training manual for drying complex structures, as I understand it. And this chapter is kind of the background information. What we wanted to do is talk a little bit about that, and it kind of ties exactly into what you were just talking about with the, the bubbles and the, you know, in the air you have a certain percentage of nitrogen and oxygen and uh, moisture and, and et cetera. And one of the questions we see come up from time to time is, you know, or, or one of the, the ways people try to explain this from time to time is that, that air holds water. Um, does air hold water? Um, well, let's see. If I said yes, uh, there's probably a segment who's going to say, God, this guy is screwball and stupid. And uh, there's others who would probably say, well, okay, let me listen to this. So I, that's where I really hope that people are, is that we, we, we do not hang somebody's uh, credibility or we do not uh, hang a whole industry on, on a single word or something. But, but, but if I can... Back one step further, and we need to make sure that we understand what areas. Good. Uh, and and this is probably where a lot of stumbling goes on. Uh, it's interesting if you uh, go to Wikipedia and do a Wikipedia search on air, it will, in most cases, it's going to redirect you immediately to uh, the page called Atmosphere of the earth or atmosphere surrounding the earth, something like that. If you force it to go to air, it's going to say disambiguation, which means there's lots and lots and lots of definitions of air. We don't know what you're talking about. So hmm. air is a uh, French rock band. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a folk band. <laughs> and then air is also a uh, Japanese rock band and on and on and on and on. So. Uh, air, but but air as it surrounds the earth in our atmosphere, air is a simple mixture of many gases, and that's it. It's lots of gases. Uh, some gases are in constant uh, concentration, not nitrogen, oxygen, argon, things of that nature, and some of them are are in uh, uh, variable concentrations. Is, is water like vapor ozone. a gas? Yeah, water vapor is in uh, uh, variable concentration, of course. Right. And so ozone and carbon dioxide, radon, all of those things, those are uh, other gases, and some of them we call greenhouse gases. Uh, but water vapor and is the same in terms of being a gas as all the other gases, and it behaves the same way. Um, and uh, all gases in, in the air... Uh, or in any parcel of air or any, any other place, follows uh, various uh, natural and uh, uh, laws, law of gravity and laws of, uh, laws of uh, thermodynamics. It, 
It uh, follows the ideal gas laws, uh, Dalton's, Charles Boyle's, Avogadro's, and all of those. Um, and so air, air is a simple mixture of gas. It's not a solution. They don't, it doesn't become something air, uh, something else. It doesn't become a homogenation of, uh, you know, and another compound. But it's just a mixture of gases. And between all of the molecules of gases, there exists a lot of, uh, lot of nothingness, a lot of empty space. And, uh, uh, and of course, the further one gets away from the uh, Earth's uh, surface, uh, you know, think gravity. Is the farther you get away from gravity, then the less dense uh, these gases are, and uh, the further the the gas molecules are from each other. Uh, I, I like an illustration that uh, you ask about. Can you visualize this? I, I think one of the best ones was from uh, was a definition. I heard not a definition, but a statement I heard from uh, I read from uh, uh, Torricelli. Uh, the uh, the inventor of the mercury barometer. Uh, he once said, we live submerged at the bottom of an ocean of air. Hmm. And if you think about that, you say, wow, well, that's pretty descriptive. So if, if you and I, we, we think of uh, the ocean of water. And so if we're out there at the bottom of the ocean, the pressure pushing down on you is, I mean, it's, you, you can't take it, of course. You'd die. But we live at the, at the same way, that's all liquid pressing down. But here we are at the surface of the earth, and we have air pressing down. So we're, we're in the same way, visualize it the same way, we live submerged at the bottom of an ocean of air. So, so I think that that's a, a tremendous description of, of air. I like that. I like that. And I also like that the way you, and correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't talk about this before, but... When I read yours, you know, I read, and I agree with you that it's not necessarily, well, I don't know that you didn't say this, it's not necessarily wrong to say air holds water, um, but you use the terminology air contains water. And I just like that description better, and I, I ran it past another uh, colleague of ours who really liked it as well. Any comments on that, why you chose that? Yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I, 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 that's... Uh uh, I, I wanted to get to that. I really wanted to kind of define air first, and so, so uh, the uh, th there's a number of different terms that you can use, and uh, so, so I, I, I just pulled an article out that I had uh, pulled off the internet some time ago, uh, and, and it kind of uh, is in response to those who may have trouble uh, with the concept of air holding moisture. And so I'd kind of like to read just a real brief description from a fellow by the name of C.R. Nave, N-A-V-E. He's a professor at Georgia State University. He's got a website called Hyperphysics, and I was actually sent a link to this website a year or two back. And a number of the people who reject the concept of air holding moisture uses this as a as one of the uh, uh, websites that they that they like to go to and uh, so uh, what he says uh, uh, is um, uh, he comments on the following uh, uh, definition for relative humidity which a lot of people use this uh, quote relative humidity is the amount of moisture in the air compared to what the air can hold at that temperature 
close quote. So that's the definition that he is responding to, and so he's responding to basically the word hold. And so he says, quote, of all the statements about relative humidity that I've heard in everyday conversation, the above, the one I just read, the above is probably the most common. It may represent understanding of the phenomenon and has some common sense utility, but it may represent a complete misunderstanding of what is going on physically. He goes on, the air doesn't, quote, hold water vapor in the sense of having some attractive force or capturing influence. Water molecules are actually lighter and higher than the nitrogen and oxygen molecules that make up the bulk of the air, and they certainly don't stick to them and are not in any sense held by them. And so... When we talk about air having moisture in it, it's obvious that it does, of course. But when people who have a problem with the word hold, uh, Professor Nave very well describes that, and they certainly, with, with this quote, and quote, they certainly don't stick to them and are not in any sense held by them. So what it's referring to there is not, he's not talking about air, he's talking to about water molecules sticking to them. The other molecules, mm -hmm. the molecules of nitrogen, the molecules of oxygen. And so, of course, we would all reject that. I mean, water does not stick to oxygen and nitrogen and argon and, and that type of thing. So Professor Nave rightly uh, demonstrates that there is not something within the air that attracts the water molecules. So, uh, but he actually says it has some common sense utility, and, and I, I used it. I used the, 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 the term hold, but I also used the term contain. Uh, I used the word, uh, the, the phrase suspend as a gas. So can warmer air hold more moisture than cold air? Well, the answer is yes. Warmer air can contain more moisture in, than, more moisture than colder air, and it can suspend as a gas, uh, more moisture than cold air. I even heard uh, or read someplace where the word accommodate, I'm not sure I'd use that one, but uh, warmer air can accommodate more moisture than cold air. Or I like to use it, warmer air can hold more moisture than cold air. And uh, so I, I, I do not see the author, I don't, do not see Nave as saying the concept of air uh, holding water vapor as, as being inaccurate or misleading. Uh, in fact, he says it has some common sense utility, uh, and I think his caution uh, is, is, is very, very proper. So, uh, But air holds water vapor just as it's holding nitrogen and it's holding oxygen and it's holding argon and all of the rest of the gases. So I see no... Uh, no issue that as long as we understand they're all gases and they're all dispersed uh, in the air, uh, then uh, I, I see no problem with it. Okay. I, I appreciate that. And what I'd like to do is we, we need to take a quick break and thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back with our guest, Mickey Lee. Yeah. 
Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com Indoor Environment Connections The newspaper for the IAQ industry Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com John Don Products Where restoration and abatement contractors shop Visit them at www.johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back with the second half of our interview with Mickey Lee. Mickey, before we broke, we were talking about, you know, air holding water, air containing water. We got a text over the break that kind of leads me into the next question anyway. Um, and the, the listener commented that rather than focus on terms like hold, contain, and so forth, I think the issue is the misunderstanding that the air temperature is controlling factor, is the controlling factor. When terms like warmer air holds... Um, Rather, it is the water temperature that is the controlling factor. Would you agree with that? The water temperature? The, um, are you talking about the water temperature of the mater- that, that's, that's in and on the, the material? I think they mean the temperature of the, of the air. water in the air. Okay. Well, is the temperature of the water in the air pretty much going to be the same as the temperature of the air, meaning the rest of the air? I, and the answer, of course, would be yeah. Okay. So, well, why does why, uh, why does warm so, air... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, why, why can warm air contain more water vapor than cold air? Okay. Uh, that's that's, uh, that's, the, that's a great follow-up question to the can air hold moisture and so so why does it happen well uh well, let me ask you this how can a uh, or answer this how can a parcel of air contain any moisture at all or why does a parcel of air contain any moisture at all well there, there's two reasons basically number one 
liquid water is available to be evaporated. So if water is not available, then it's not going to contain uh, moisture. The second reason, energy is available. If energy is available to change that liquid water from liquid to gas, then it will happen to a, to a degree. So there is a, there is a mistaken notion, uh, Cliff, in, in, in our, uh, among some people that the amount of water vapor that air can contain uh, is due to the uh, expanded volume of warmer air. Uh, and so warmer air has a larger volume for a pound of dry air than colder air, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it has nothing to do with the volume of air or the space between the molecules. So that has nothing to do, uh, or I should say almost nothing to do, with how much moisture air can uh, contain. So the reason that a, a parcel of higher temperature air can contain more water vapor is due to the energy in it. And that's it right there. So it all comes the, down the, to the energy. It all comes down to energy. Everything in the air, everything that's mo- the, the, the moisture moving through materials has to do with, with, with energy. So the, the higher the dry bulb temperature, okay, uh, a.k.a. sensible temperature, the more energy is in that parcel of air. So if liquid water is available, some of that energy in the air will be transferred into the water, giving it the energy needed to make a phase change. So to make a phase change from liquid to gas. Um, and, And the energy that's required to make the phase change is called the latent heat of vaporization, or we could call it the latent heat of evaporation. So it's latent, meaning that it's hidden. So the, the moisture molecules have energy in them, and it was the energy that it took to, ev- to evaporate it, that to change it from liquid to gas. Um, so that energy cannot be measured uh, or it's sensed. I mean, we can sense the temperature of the air. Well, I feel like it's oh, probably about 75 in here right now. Okay, so that's the sensible temperature. But there is energy that is also associated with evaporating the moisture molecules or changing the phase from liquid to gas, and that's the uh, that is the uh, that latent heat of vaporization. And uh, so it's 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 energy. Now, if that molecule, if those molecules begin to lose some of that energy, then naturally what's going to happen is they're going to condense. And in a surrounding air, in a parcel of air, uh, you know, molecules of air are always evaporating and always condensing. And so it's that net evaporation uh, that, you're, that you're looking for and trying to control in a, uh, uh, in, in a dry-out uh, situation. Uh, but uh, it, it's all about energy. And so the warmer the air, uh, the more energy that's in the air, and the more molecules of water it can ch- that, that, that energy can change from one phase to another. Now, I've got a text, and I want to go to the next question, but let me just run this text past you real quick. So okay. um, water vapor can comprise a larger part of an air mixture 
as that mixture increases in temperature and adds energy to the water. Essentially, is that what you? Is that what? Well, you, now the the part that's uh, a little puzzling that mo- that that water can occupy a larger percentage, or is that what it says? Just says a larger part of an air mixture. I wish you could see uh, these. Yes. Well, okay. Uh, uh, up until the time that 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 saturation uh, occurs. In other words, the uh, uh, the the, uh, the evaporation and the condensation are basically equal. So, at the point where there is uh, uh, the, the vapor pressure in the water and the vapor pressure in the air equalize, and they're the same, then you've reached 100% saturation. You've also we would also define that as 100% relative humidity. So now there's just a, a constant changing of molecules, but there uh, but it's reached the the, the, sat, the saturation point. Okay, that's a topic we wanted to touch on anyway. But I, I've got to move to the next one, which is and and you've touched on this a little bit. I just want to make sure we reinforce it. What is the driving force for moisture moving through materials now, not just air? Okay. Uh, through materials, it would be vapor pressure differentials okay. completely. So if the vapor pressure in the materials, uh, if the vapor pressure outside of the materials in the surrounding air is lower than the vapor pressure in the materials, then you've got a driving force. It's going to move. Okay? But, wa- but, but, but water can move in materials in two manners. It can move as a liquid or it can move as a vapor. So it'll, it'll move as a liquid via capillary uh, action. Uh, and the longer you can keep that capillary flow going, the quicker you can dry it out. So you don't want to overdry the surface of a material because then you re- literally retard that capillary action from occurring. And so you literally could slow down your drying if you try to if you overdry the surface of a material. So, but the, the 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 driving force for moisture moving through materials is vapor pressure uh, differential. So if I can create a uh, a difference, then I can begin to dry it out. If I can create a much much uh, greater difference in the vapor pressure differential, then I can probably dry it out quicker unless I screw up screw something else up so uh, so the, uh, but vapor pressure differential is, is the whole thing okay I want to repeat I can create, go ahead I'm I, I, I was going to try to repeat what I think that you said uh, okay. I, I think number one for the audience so we have two things going on. We have this vapor pressure diffusion and we have capillary action. And I think that you said that as long as we can maintain capillary action, we're going to dry things faster. And that in certain situations, we can over dry the surface of a material and that could have a negative effect upon drying. Is all of that correct? Uh, that, that's fairly fairly close. Uh, this is more pronounced when you're talking about massive and, and thicker materials. For half-inch drywall, it's, uh, you're going to have difficulty over-drying the surface and retarding uh, uh, moisture migration within the material. I didn't want to talk about uh, drywall. I want to talk about okay. carpet, and I want to talk about pad, okay? And okay. I want to talk right. about capillary action. 
you know, we have a okay. flo- we have a floor that's wet, like a wood floor, cement floor that's wet. On top of that, we have a carpet cushion that's also wet. On top of that, we have uh, in contact with that carpet cushion is going to be the backing of a carpet, most likely polypropylene. And then we're going to have carpet fibers, which, you know, may be nylon. And what never made sense to me was this concept of in-place drying. And and I want to explain to you where my hang-up is with, with the concept, is that there are breaks in capillary action in every one of those materials. You know, there's an airspace between the cushion where it contacts the floor. There's an airspace between the cushion and the back of the carpet. And the back of the carpet generally is polypropylene, which doesn't hold a lot of water. And I've seen a lot of situations where people have done in-place drying and they load this room with equipment and they're blowing all this air and they're getting all this heat and things don't seem to dry the way that they should. And I could never understand why until you mentioned the possibility of over-drying the surface of the material. And I was wondering whether that's the case that can occur in these situations. Uh, Cliff, anytime you have multiple layers of, of materials, you, you've got a com- complex, you got a more, more complex structure. And you can have various, and each one of them are going to be giving up their moisture in a different way. They've each got different uh, uh, densities uh, to them. Some of them, I mean, they have different properties. Some of them uh, have vapor barriers within them, the carpet pad, uh, uh, you know, if it's a rebond, it may have vapor barriers in there so so that it retards it. Uh, it. But I think that there's more than just capillary action and diffusion going on uh, there, or issues with capillary action and diffusion. Uh, I think you've got a lot of other, uh, you've got some other things happening that are retarding it, and it can be sealers on the concrete. It can be vapor barriers within the uh, material itself. Uh, but uh, I would think, and I have not done a lot of in-place drying uh, uh, in in, uh, in residences, and uh, uh, you know, in commercial buildings, you uh, bring the humidity down drastically. You get a deep vapor pressure at, at differential, and lots of air movement on carpet. And uh, I I have uh, rarely seen a a floor that you shouldn't be that you can't dry out in a matter of uh, of a you know two days. Uh, now the car, the the subfloor and the concrete that's a different case. Right, but I think one of the differences in commercial there is a lot of glue down carpet where there is yeah. no pad, and mm-hmm. I, I think the pad end I think the pad ended up being the the, the challenge, and it, it just seemed yep. in the yep. old days. Uh, you know, when Lloyd Weaver, you know, developed on location drying of carpet, you know, he floated the carpet and it seemed to make a whole lot of sense. And I don't know, from my experience, it dried faster and it dried with much less equipment than uh, in place. But uh, that was just my experience. But back to you, Joe. Okay. Now, I want to move on to... Um 
you, you sort of d- described how building components dry. You talked about the capillary action and the diffusion. Uh, but I wanted to first see if there's anything you wanted to add with respect to how these building components dry. Maybe you want to touch a little bit more on the different types of components and how that changes with the type of component. Uh, with all of them, uh, Joe, you've got to get energy into the materials. And uh, spe- during the, the early stage when everything is wet, uh, your capillaries are, are full of water, then you want to get some air movement and you want to get to, to get a good differential in, in vapor pressure. At that point, heat is not necessarily your friend. So uh, you're trying to get the surfaces dry. You're trying to promote capillary uh, action because as uh, moisture is going to move through materials as a liquid a lot quicker then it will move through as a uh, vapor, or it should, I should say in a greater quantity, a greater, you know, uh, that's, uh, liquid water is a whole lot more than, than, than just vapor diffusion. So once you get the capillaries uh, dry, now you're down to the bound water. Uh, now you have to create a vapor, uh, uh, even a greater vapor pressure differential uh, and then you have to start getting energy into the material itself. And so that's when heat uh, and a higher, uh, you know, greater amount of energy is really beneficial to you. It will help to uh, promote that mat- the material giving up its moisture inside the material and then migrating to the uh, surfaces by the uh, vapor pressure differential. Uh, all materials dry out in two, two ways. You've got to move the moisture from inside the material to the surface, and then you've got to evaporate the moisture from the surface and get it into the air where you can uh, uh, take it out. Uh, and the, the, the idea of, of there being two processes, uh, moisture migration in materials and evaporation from the surface, that's even more critical when you're talking about thicker materials, more dense materials, timber, wood, concrete. Uh, things of that nature. So it's, it's, it's much more critical when you, when you uh, uh, to begin to get energy into the materials, uh, especially during the, uh, uh, you know, after the first day or so. Okay. Now, I, before I roll, I've got one other area that I want to hit if we can before we go, and that's some of these definitions for forced air, drying, etc. But before we do, is there any other variable that you want to cover um, with respect to the drying of the materials in the building? Any other variables that you think are vital for our listeners to understand? Um, and I know there's a lot more, but I guess maybe you could pick one that, that you think is maybe overlooked. I guess about the only thing I could, uh, I'd like to add at this point, uh, Cliff, would be that the uh, you, you've got three things going on. You've got uh, uh, heat, you've got energy, you've got airflow, and then you've got a humidity control. And at different stages of a dry out, uh, you need to be thinking of, of which one do I need more of at this point. During the early stage, you need lots of airflow. You need lots of humidity control because a lot of, air, a lot of moisture is being given up uh, from the surfaces and all of that. Then, as it goes along, it's less important to have airflow, and it's also your need for humidity control begins to reduce, but it's still there. And uh, 
so uh, a restorer uh, needs to manipulate and think about all three of those uh, aspects as as a, a project goes from the first day to the to the last day. Okay, now in in the document I read the the drying of complex structures you you have a. I think it's a question in there, actually, and then you answer it, but I want you to answer it for our listeners. What is forced air drying? Uh, forced air drying, I, uh, uh, what I'm referring to there is that you are uh, forcing air into interstitial spaces, and uh, you've got to get the air... You've got to get your drying environment uh, to those uh, surfaces and to those places. And the, 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 the more you can get to the different uh, levels of, uh, of wet materials, the better, uh, the quicker you're going to dry it out. Okay. And what's the energy in the air? Uh, the energy in the air is, is heat. Okay. okay. Uh, when I talk about energy, I, I actually prefer, I mean, heat and energy are base, are the same thing. Okay. Uh, heat is a form of, of energy. Uh, the reason I like to talk about energy more than I like to talk about heat is, is, is this. When people say heat, a lot of people in their mind, they think hot, and they think temperature. Okay, i got to get the temperature up. And that's not the thing that's going to be the most beneficial. The most beneficial thing is when you can view this as an energy issue. I've got to get energy into the material. Does that mean that you're going to be using some heat? Yes. Is your, where's your heat going to come from? Well, it can come from uh, some from LGRs, though they do not put out a great amount of heat. They can come from desiccants. They can come from a heat situation, from a heat uh, drying system. But there's got to be energy that you get into the materials. And uh, we've been using energy for many, many years to, to, to do that. We just have not called it, quote, heat drying. And so we're creating a vapor pressure differential uh, with uh, dehumidification, and it's, it's, it's very effective. But, but when I talk about in, uh, energy, that's why I talk about that more so than I talk about heat. Heat is not a bad thing. Okay, that's why I wanted to get to. I know we had talked about that before we got on the show here, and I wanted to make sure you, you were able to clarify yeah. that before we got off, Mickey. We are running up on uh, the end of the, the show, but we can stay a little longer as long as you don't have to run. I do not. I'm okay. Okay, and I've got a statement, too, from a listener. I want to get to the roundup, but let's go to the roundup, see if we can get Dr. Wow in to uh, have a comment or two. I'm sure he will, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Let's go, Val. Thank you. Move him on, hit him up, yeah. hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Uh oh. Oh. <laughs> All right, so even, even, um, even electronic music skips like my old uh, record player <laughs> <Yeah>. used to. <laughs> all right, let's get Dr. Wow in. Oh, I think we lost him. Oh, well, that's all right. Maybe we'll see him come back. Uh, he was trying to Skype in from Mexico, Mexico. and uh, maybe we lost him. But anyway, all right, let's go back around the table. Let's, let's get one last question in. And uh, Cliff, did you have one you wanted to, to finish up with or – 
Um, you know what? Let me do mine first. Um, I've always had this question about vacuum freeze drying. And I know you've done, you know, Munters is known for freeze drying. And I know I don't know how long it would take to kind of talk about that, Mickey, but maybe you could just give us a little overview of what freeze drying is. Uh, if you think it would take too long, I understand we'll have to bring it on another show. But Yeah, it would. Uh, well, you, you, you uh, pull a, uh, materials down to a, a point below which water cannot exist as a liquid. And uh, if you just think about uh, what water boils at at sea level versus what it boils at in Denver, Colorado, and so you've got you've got about a ten degree difference in uh, boiling, it begins to lower. So if you think you can continue to reduce the pressure, and you can reduce the pressure to to such a point uh, that water begins to boil at room temperature. If you keep on going a lower vacuum, then water will actually boil and freeze at the same point. And that's what happens below the triple point uh, in a vacuum freeze-dry chamber is that water begins to, uh, it, it cannot uh, exist as a liquid. It automatically goes from uh, the solid state to the gas state without passing through the liquid state. So it's very effective in, in what, it, uh, uh, what it does. Uh, uh, but so that I guess in a nutshell, and hopefully that was halfway clear. And yeah, it was. Now let me let me do this if you would. We're on the radio, so if you could give me a picture of how do you lower the vapor pressure? Uh, by removing moisture in the air. Well, well, two either of two ways: by raising the vapor pressure in the materials, uh, or lowering the vapor pressure in the air, or by both. And the way you can lower the vapor pressure in the air uh, is if it is high, if it's got a lot of moisture in the air, then you need to uh, remove that either by ventilation okay. or by dehumidification. Okay, that's what I was... That's what or a combination of, of the two. I see. All right. Cliff? Well, um, oftentimes when you couldn't afford to buy a freeze dryer and you had wet papers or you had wet books... You know, a lot of times just putting them into a freezer would eventually dry those books. And if you think about what would happen with your ice cube tray, you know, if you don't use the ice cubes and you look at that tray, over time there's less and less and less water in there. And, you know, that's a cheaper way to do it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it takes it takes longer, but... You know, it's like a low-tech way of, of drying them. And, and I guess in, in both situations, or, or am I incorrect, does the water sublimate or, go, you know, it goes from liquid to vapor? Or from solid to vapor. Or I'm sorry. From... Yes, it will. Okay. Yes, it does. And it works by vapor pressure differential, and that's a, a long, that's a, that would be a long discussion, but it does sublimate. Uh, and and your operative word there is is what you said, and that is eventually. eventually. And so, right. if somebody has a rare book and a single rare book that got wet for whatever reason, you can stick it in the freezer, right. and probably uh, you know six months to a year later, you'll come out with a dry book. Right. All right. Let me. I, I'm going to try this. I had one other uh, text here that 
I, and I know this is tough for you because it's you're not seeing the the written sentence. So let me. We had a listener that said, uh, so the energy in the water to create a phase change must be maintained in the air mixture in order for the water to remain a vapor. Well, absolutely. Uh, And the reason it does is because the water is going to take on the temperature, okay, of whatever whatever is uh, the surrounding air. So... The temperature of the nitrogen molecules are going to be the same as the air. The temperature of the water molecules is going to be the same as the air. Okay. And so, uh, so that's so yes. As long as it maintains its energy level, it's going to stay as a as a gas. But understand, they're always losing. Uh, water is always losing. Uh, 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 energy and then some in the where the water the, the air is beating down the heat is beating down on the water so to speak the liquid water then there's always going to be con- evaporation occurring and there's always going to be condensation occurring all right thank you bruce for your text today and um scott as well scott, both of you right. for uh, sending in texts and i want to get value of one more yeah, um, I'd just like to thank you for being on the show with us today. And uh, we always like to give our guests the last word. Um, so I just wondered, is, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, Cliff, what I said earlier, that I'd be glad to, to uh, send out a copy of this uh, compilation of moisture-related terminology to anyone and uh, uh if, if they send me an email and mention IAQ Radio, I'll send it out free of charge to anyone who asks. And so uh, is it okay to get my email? Absolutely. We want you, you, to. Uh, you read Cliff's mind here. He had a note on uh, how to get your documents. So. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, just email uh, me at uh, Mickey Lee, M-I-C-K-E-Y-L-E-E, at Comcast.net. That's uh, Mickey Lee at Comcast.net. Mickey, it's been fascinating. I, I really enjoyed reading. Uh, I learned so much from doing this show, and uh, a lot of it's research, researching and getting ready for the show. I picked up a lot in, in this uh, dry and complex structure, so I urge people to get a copy of that if you can. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I know you're working on a revision to it, and, and um, hopefully when we get that, when you get that done, maybe we can have you come back and, um, you know, we can uh, have you come back and talk a little more about some of the things that we didn't have time to go into. Okay. I would be glad to. Uh, we appreciate it. Okay. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Mr. Mickey Lee. We've already got a couple of nice comments in from folks uh, on the uh, on the line with us now, and we do appreciate having him here with us. I also want to thank the Z-Man back in the saddle. Hey, it's good to be uh, here, Joe. You should have an interesting blog this week. Um, of course, Roxy V, thank you, Val, sure. for taking care of the controls. No Only worries. one glitch, but that's uh, not your fault. Something wrong <laughs> with our computer here. Of course, I want to say thank Oh, Oh, um, next week, we're going to be here next week, right? And then yeah. it's the following week we'll take off. So, Thanks again to our loyal listeners out there as well. Come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.
has been another IAQ Radio production. Thank you.